Father in heaven, thank you again for this day. Lord, Lord, help us to seek your word, to seek your faith, to be faithful servants. Teach us how to become more of the persons who you want us to be. I pray for wisdom for each person, each family represented here, Lord, and I pray for protection from deceptions. Lord, our whole world is fighting <clears throat> so many things. Uh, we've seen such changes in the last year and help and a half. I pray for your people, Lord. Help us to stay focused on you. And I pray about this message today that it's edifying, educational, and hopefully entertaining to people. Thank you again for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and hit, uh, go forward a couple times till we hit Ethiopia, God's hidden kingdom, please. You got to hit enter like twice. There we go. Oh, no, go back. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, there's so many things in Scripture. There's, there's like so many levels. You can read Scripture on its surface and then not realize that there's so many other things going on that are, that are underneath so many layers. It, uh, Christianity has been described as a belief system that is so simple a child can understand it, but so deep that a theologian could spend his entire life studying the scripture, studying Christianity. Now, Jesus made a very interesting statement in John 10:16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Which is a very interesting statement. Now, it's interpreted in different ways. So, for example, the Mormons say, ah, this is evidence that Jesus was talking about the American Indians and the ten lost tribes that came here and things. Now, I'll just mention that in case anyone has Mormon friends or anything. That's actually not supported by the DNA. There is a, a good video by a Christian church in the Salt Lake City area called Mormons in DNA. And the DNA of the American Indians does not match Semitic DNA. In other words, Israel. They've got this whole very intricate uh, history that has been made up and that has been put together and stuff. But it's just not supported by the evidence of the DNA of, of the Native American peoples. And uh, now, uh, and this same verse, other sheep have I which not of this fold. So in modern times, there have been some people who have said this was related to UFOs. So there are people on other planets that perhaps are of a different, different flocks and things. And uh, I don't know, I haven't talked to any of the aliens yet to see uh, what they think about that and stuff. But anyway, that, and, and, now, and I should mention since I brought that up, uh, in the Old Testament times, the fallen angels and demonic powers uh, fooled people into believing that they were God or gods and that they were powerful. And they are powerful compared to us. Uh, but uh, now we're so sophisticated, we're looking for people from other planets. They can come in from other dimensions. And many of the UFO sightings, you know, they'll have a, a UFO that's going, say, 5,000 miles an hour, something incredible and then suddenly do a right turn, which just violates the laws of physics if it was fully in our dimensions. Anyway, there's many things that we could contend um, scripturally that, no, these are spiritual powers, and they're still trying to fool us, and they want to be our older brothers to lead us into further truths, which means pulling us away from the Bible and the God of the Bible. So, okay, now, and then Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. I believe God wants us to search out his scriptures and to learn what's going on and to find out these different things. Okay, please go to the next slide. 
The oldest book of the Bible is not Genesis. Now, in our modern uh, Bibles, of course, we start with the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But actually, the book of Job was written 400 or more years before Genesis. And in the first chapter of the first book of the, the oldest book of the Bible, we see angels answering to God and that we are the subject of what they're talking about. Okay? So Job 1, 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God, that means the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Where comest, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down in it. Looking for us, Satan is a, as a roaring lion. We are the prey. We are players in the spiritual war. Our souls are the prize in the spiritual wars raging around us. But we're also sometimes pawns in the spiritual war. There's so much we cannot see. We need to come to the Lord. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for help, pray for protection. We need to trust in the Lord. Becoming mature Christian does not becoming, mean becoming independent. It means becoming more dependent on the Lord. Okay, next slide, please. Every person shall be judged. We tend to think in terms of Bible history that Israel was the focus, Israel alone, and then everyone else was in the outside until the New Testament times. Well, Job is an example uh, that we're just looking at, that he wasn't Hebrew. In fact, the Hebrew people didn't exist yet. Every person will be judged. In Revelation 20, 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, which were written in the books according to their works. Every person on earth has a conscience. Every person, we grow up, we live. You know, how do you respond today? Are you giving or are you taking? Are you trying to be honorable or are you seeing what you can get away with, right? How are we helping other people, particularly strangers? That's actually a theme in the, in the Bible. The stranger, the widow, and the orphan. How do you treat people who you'll never see again or who are powerless in, 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 your, in our societies? How do, you, how do you treat other people? And what, what we do, our words, our actions, our thoughts, these are all things that are going to come under judgment. Now, yes, for the, for, for the believers, we will be redeemed, but we, have, we will have varying levels of reward, which we don't, I don't think we have a concept of what that means yet or what our responsibilities will be in the next life. Um, I used to know a pastor, um, Walter Lang. He was a Lutheran minister for uh, like 30 years, and then he started a creation organization and did that for the next 25 years. And he said he prayed that God will let him do research in the next life cause he, because he loved it. That's what he liked doing. So, anyway, it's kind of funny. Uh, let, let's go down to the next slide, please. Roman commander's faith. Luke 7, verses 7 through 9. Now, this is interesting. Remember, I was just saying this, not just the people of Israel and the now us Christians. It's every person in the world. We're all going to be judged. All, we're all in development, excuse me, whether we like it or not. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy. So this is a Roman commander, a centurion commander coming to Jesus to come to thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. 
turned about and said to the people that followed him, I say to you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Isn't that just interesting? This man was a Gentile. This is before uh, the gospel was officially opened open to Gentiles. But we're all, uh, I'm, I'm leading into Ethiopia, excuse me. What I, so what I'm trying to do is be inclusive to the human race. That it's, you know, we sometimes say, well, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? I believe God is just. God will judge them. He will, uh, you know, it could be according, we, we don't know, I'm speculating here. It could be according to the value system in their society. Did they measure up to it? I think from my study in history, societies have goals and then, if you have high goals, we can't meet them. America certainly is an example of that. Uh, of course, many people today are like, oh, we've never been fair, never been just. Yeah, but at least we, we're setting a bar that no one in history has reached, right? I mean, uh, it, we're at least trying for a bar for something that, that no one has, has hit yet, but, you know, that all persons are created equal and that we have the right to vote, right to lead our lives, uh, the right to pursue... Uh, Pursuit, happiness, and and uh, so and freedom of speech—all the things that we, uh, for some degree, take for granted, but we we can't take it for granted. Down through history, most of the time, and most of the world hasn't been true. Okay, next slide, please. This is an article from one one of my websites, the original world monotheism. Now, under evolutionary beliefs, they claim that first you had. Um, you know, fire and lightning and pe what people believed. And then later they came up to animism. Then they had multiple spirit beings. And then finally you came to monotheism. And now God is invisible. Boom. Right? Something like that. It's actually the opposite. In ancient history around the world, you go far enough back in, in Chinese history, in Indian history, Egyptian history, uh, in Mexico, there, there is a belief in one God, one creator. And then they fell from that. They fell from that. And many, there's a couple of good books on this. One of them is called Eternity in Their Hearts. I didn't put a slide up on this. Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson, a missionary. He and his wife are missionaries. And he realized after he had been a missionary in different countries, gee, all around the world, people know there's a great God, but he's too great. He's too holy. He's too perfect. So they worship these spirit beings instead. And so he realizes he's not bringing a foreign religion. He's bringing the completion of their religion, you are right. We are not God good enough. We'll never be good enough. And that's why God sent His Son to die in our place to bridge that gap between us and Him because He's too great. And so if we go back in their histories, uh, so this article, it's, uh, uh, I don't remember who wrote, Ray, uh, Roy Hales. It's a very good article. I've gotten it translated in, I don't remember how many, at least 10 languages or more. Because we need to remember our history the way, the way it really is. Evolution, the belief in evolution has impacted modern humanity. No, all around the world, <coughs> excuse me, people have fallen from realizing that we answer to God, whether we like it or not. Okay, next slide, uh, please. A, B, C, anything but Christianity. Sometimes uh, non-believers uh, will uh, leap to that, and we, we certainly see that in our modern era. Uh, Romans one twenty. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen so that they are without excuse. We have so many uh, uh, evidences around us that we are created beings and we're told in Scripture we're created in God's image. And um, one um, thing I use uh, in creation talks 
is, you know, because they'll say, evolution is science, creation is religion. I'll say, you know, please hold up your hand, wiggle your pinky, your ring finger, your middle finger, forefinger, your thumb, wiggle all of them. Put your hand down. I have a question for you. Why were your fingers moving? You are inside a shell. You are in a very sophisticated biochemical electrical shell. We think we have control of our bodies. We can move the arms and legs around, but most of what our bodies do it's on autopilot. If you think about it, you eat the donut or the uh, apple fritter if you know what you're doing. I'm sorry, a little joke there. But, I mean, you know what I mean. You drink the coffee. I'm going to try and get my coffee, hopefully without hitting the speaker. Am I going to get – is it going to sh shriek at us? Okay. It didn't shriek at us. Good. Okay. So um, uh, so I'll say this is made of 100% 100 bi 100 biodegradable parts. Fully uh, self-assembling, partially healing. This fell together by itself. I, evolutionists have a lot more faith than I do. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just stunning. You start thinking about the things of the human body, clotting, blood clotting, how the eyes work for focus and everything. It's just it's just stunning. Anyway, uh, Romans one twenty three and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds four-footed beasts and creeping things. It's like we want a God who's a lot smaller than the real God. As, as sinful beings, we tend to gravitate towards that, something we can see, something we can manipulate, something we can control. That's what we prefer. But God reminds us, going way, way back in history, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty thirty, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, of course, we know there's only one real God. But on spiritual level, there are powerful spiritual beings out there that uh, we're, we're told uh, to not to not worship. So that they are they are out there. Baal was, is a powerful spiritual being. Allah is a very powerful spiritual being. There's actually I've read I love history, and I've read some Muslim history. And when uh, Islam was being uh, spreading in the seventh century A.D. and eighth century, there were genies before that. Uh, in some of these countries. No, they were real. Genie is a real term. I'm sorry. Uh, and Allah was evidently more powerful because he displaced them in their, their worship centers and people then started worship, worshiping Allah instead. So we know, and we know that there are different levels of angels. We have no idea how many. But remember where Jesus says that this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Some are more powerful than those. We have, again, we don't need to know the details. It's not important. It's just that there, there's a lot of things we don't know. Okay, next slide, please. Now let's get into Ethiopia. So I, I called this uh, Ethiopia God's Hidden Kingdom. Uh, it's a beautiful country. It's very mountainous. Look at these steep mountains rising up. Okay. Now, uh, so Ethiopia is off the beaten path. So it was south of the Mediterranean world. Not so far that it could, you couldn't get to it, but it was just far enough away from as the Mediterranean world was developing. Next slide, please. So a map of the Mediterranean, this is from about 200 B.C., and you've got different peoples, Rome, and Rome was still growing at that time. It didn't reach its zenith as the Roman Empire as we know it until 200, 300, 400 years later. But you can see the Mediterranean world, okay? And then you had the Phoenicians. They, they had wars uh, between the Romans and the Carthaginians, Carthage being a capital of the uh, uh, Phoenicians here in North Africa. There were three Punic Wars. Here's Carthage. 
and then Rome up here. And so there was a battle for the future, in a way, the future of the world, one could argue. And there were three wars fought between Rome and Carthage that were just uh, uh, just incredible. Sea war, land war, and everything. So, And then, of course, Rome then won and expanded uh, in all directions. North also later, and then, of course, uh, going east and taking over later Palestine. Okay. So um, now, uh, where Ethiopia is, don't move it yet, but it's south, down here, about there, okay, in Africa, the northeast, what's called the Horn of Africa. Okay, next slide, please. So we see Ethiopia, and it is a very mountainous country, okay? And um, I see a couple of people taking pictures. I'll, I'll be glad to give you a copy of the slides of this if you'd like, if it's, it's a PowerPoint. It's not that big, so it's about five megabytes, I think. So, uh, but modern Ethiopia. And we're going to, actually, uh, this will be circled later. I'm going to show this map again. But way up here in the north, A-K-S-U-M, that's also spelled A-X-U-M in the English transliteration and stuff. But we're going to look at Aksum later. But Ethiopia is just down there. It's, it's off the beaten path. But God has used it uh, very special. Okay, so next slide, please. Okay, we in the modern world think of, and in the West, we tend to think that Christmas and Easter are the biggest holidays, the biggest religious holidays. That hasn't been true in much of Christian history. Last 2,000 years, at different times, people have uh, accentuated different times of Christ's life. For example, in Venice, uh, which was a leading uh, city-state, 600, 700 years ago. I believe that's where Marco Polo came from, was, was Venice. And um, anyway, they celebrated Christ's ascension. When Christ ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, that's what they felt was the most important holiday of the year. Okay? And, uh, but in Ethiopia, the Ethiopian Christians, that's one of the original five churches, actually, Ethiopia was. Ethiopia, among the Christians there, their biggest holiday of the year is called Timkit. Okay, let's go to the next slide, please. Timkit is celebrated in January of each year. And their biggest holiday is when Jesus was baptized by uh, John the Baptist. Now, let's think about this. Why is that important? It's one of the rare occasions when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, are all in one place at one time. Well, if God thinks it's important, maybe it's pretty darn important, right? We don't even celebrate it on our calendar. We don't even remember it. But it's, it's, And this is recorded in all four Gospels. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, he, the Lamb is being washed. John is baptizing Jesus. John knew who Jesus was. He says, I'm not even worry, worthy to take off your sandals. But Jesus said, we must do this for Scripture to be fulfilled. So, so it's it's an interesting, uh, interesting. It's it's an important occasion that I've wondered if they got it right and all the rest of Christianity may have gotten it wrong. Okay, sometimes the minority of people are right. For Ethiopian Christians, Timkit is their most important annual holiday. They celebrate it. They have a body of water where um, they uh, actually with the first rays of sun when it hits. It, one morning each year, the people are lined up all around this body of water, and the goal was to be the first one to jump in, and they're waiting for those first uh, rays of sunlight, you know, it's, you know, to actually hit the water. And, of course, once the first person is jumping in, everybody's coming in from all sides. It's actually kind of funny to see. But, uh, 
but that's that's part of their part of their tradition. Now, ancient tra- uh, next slide, please. Ancient trade routes. So in the ancient world, there was a- at different times there was all kinds of trade going on, but it wasn't public information. You don't tell your competitors where you're going and how you're getting your stuff, do you? You know what I mean? You keep it secret. So so much was lost. When a country would lose a war, when an empire would fall, they'd lose things. I mean, trade routes would be lost. Technology would be lost. Did you know that in the pyramids, there's no soot inside in the rooms where they have all these hieroglyphs, all these different uh, things? There's no soot in there. Well, they didn't do it in the dark, did they? Right? You know what I mean? So they must have used something else. We don't know if they used mirrors, like from tunnels coming on down. And, you know, you'd have to keep adjusting just a little bit, you know, to keep the light. Or we don't know. There's some people who speculate that they had some forms of electricity, of being able to have batteries and stuff, filaments. Um, okay, I'm getting, I, I, I tend to get off subject, and I know I do that. But, but anyway, there's so much <coughs> in the, I mean, uh, transmitting in, in the world, in the ancient world. There were times when salt was worth as much as gold. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. You, you knew that. Okay. It's kind of amazing. I wish I could go back in time with a 500 pounds of salt. You know what I mean? Get, okay, never mind. Anyway, it's just an idea. I just, I'd tithe it. I, re, I really would. I really would. Okay, never mind. Ancient trade routes. Okay, so let's go. Uh, next slide, please. Now, 3,000 years ago, half the way back in human history, I take the Bible literally, uh, 6,000 years ago we were created. Then you had uh, the, the original world people lived for 900 years, over 900 years. Reptiles grew huge. They were massive. Of course, well, if people live, live longer, other life forms live longer. You have giant turtles. At the Yale Museum, you have this turtle shell that's, I mean, it, uh, it's just really incredible, the, the size of life. They had uh, mosquitoes with 18-inch wingspan. You don't want to hit it with your car because it will make him mad. Okay? I mean, the, the, the pre-flood life was massive. It was megafauna, megaflora, cattails. You've seen cattails at ponds? They're like this big. Did you know they were 50 feet tall in the fossil record? You could chop them down for firewood. You know what I mean? It's, it's really amazing with the, the, the pre-flood world. We're not gro- going up like evolution teaches. We're going down. We're a fall from what, what, what the world was like before the flood. Then you had the flood about 1,600 years about. We don't know the exact year. And the flood was remembered around the world. Okay, then you've got another. Then Abraham is, comes out of that, and then his descendants go to Egypt. And then uh, Israel then reaches the point where they have the tabernacle. And now David, and then Solomon. Okay, and that's at about 3,000 years ago. So creation... To three to one thousand BC, one thousand BC till today, and now we're in the end times. COVID's going to kill all of us, right? Okay, never mind. Little joke there, but I'm sorry, it's not a joke. But right, you know what I mean. So we can divide time in half by Israel. You can also divide time in thirds by Bible history, from creation till Abraham and Job. It doesn't appear that they knew each other, but that was about two thousand years from Abraham and Job till Christ. And the New Testament is about 2,000 years, and then 2,000 years from that time till today. The further you study the Scriptures, the further it's like, there's a structure here. This was not written by nomadic shepherds thinking up stories late at night watching their sheep. No, no, no. There's a deep structure within the Scripture. And so, okay, so I'm, I'm getting to this slide that I had us come to. Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Solomon was famous. 
okay, for his wisdom. And that was what he prayed for. The Lord said, what do you want to pray for? He said, I pray for wisdom to lead this people. He says, because you've prayed for wisdom, I'll give you all these other things too. Solomon then, uh, people would come, scholars would come, kings, queens, others would come to Jerusalem to visit. Well, the queen of Sheba, now there's actually, biblical scholars have two beliefs on where Sheba was. The only one claiming the Queen of Sheba is the Ethiopians, okay? So I'm going, I'm going there, okay? That's where I'm going, not to Arabia or something like that. She comes to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. Now, so she's mentioned in the Bible in a couple places. 1 Kings 10.1 And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning, concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And this is a... Uh, uh, an image, again, from my webpage. This is free. These are free to download. Got a couple hundred uh, Bible images. They're very high quality that anyone can download. I've actually had people uh, write to me. They're doing a book or they're doing an illustration. I say, yes, yes, please use these. <coughs> always uh, <coughs> always get permission for people to use them. So Because um, they weren't mine in the first place. I just gave them in. So, <coughs> so uh, just a second. <clears throat> okay, so uh, now we're leaving the Bible and we're going into Ethiopian history. She returns to Sheba and she's pregnant. Okay, now Solomon, you got I, I, you got to cut the guy some slack. He only had hundreds of wives. Okay, okay, he only had hundreds of wives. Okay, anyway, so okay, so evidently she had a son by Solomon. That's her. That's the story in Ethiopian history. That young man was named Menelik, Menelik I, M-E-N-E-L-I-K, and he founded then a dynasty. When he's 20 years old, he went to Jerusalem to go live with his father and learn the ways of his father for a year. Solomon was getting older, much older by that time. Of course, it's 20 years later and stuff. And as we know, the kingdom of Israel split into two upon Solomon's death, right? Judah and Israel. So we don't know what kind of clues there were that Israel was weakening or it was going to divide. We don't know. But when Menelik returned to Ethiopia, some of the priests went with him. Okay? So he returned to Ethiopia. Solomon dies. Israel splits. But a sect, S-E-C-T, sect of Judaism, then became established in uh, Ethiopia. Okay? And uh, so this, it's a very interesting thing that this was the, um, that this happened. Now, uh, what the Ethiopians also claim is that the Ark of the Covenant went with them. Okay? Now, we don't have any way to prove that. It's just very interesting that they left a replica behind. We don't know if someone had a vision or a dream or whatever, and that they were then allowed to take it and leave a replica. We do know that the Ark of the Covenant, after this, never had any power. The Ark of the Covenant in Israel, excuse me. We know that uh, when the Jews went into captivity, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't mentioned. So it's like it was, so. There's actually a few different theories. I'm not being fair to the other theories, but one of the main theories is that it went to Ethiopia. That the Lord allowed it to be hidden away somewhere. Let's go to the next slide, please. So Menelik was the son of the King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. If he's the son of Solomon, that makes him a son of David. <clears throat> So Menelik I founded the Sol Solomonic, 
if I'm saying that correct, dynasty of Ethiopia that ruled Ethiopia with few interruptions. There was within the family, any royal families have squabbles sometimes, for close to 3,000 years. This, this ended 225 generations later with the, the deposition of Emperor Haile Selassie in 1974. So Haile Selassie could trace back his lineage to Menelik I, to Solomon, to David. That's interesting, isn't it? It's also interesting because, remember, we, we, te- we as Americans tend to ignore the genealogies in the Bible. It's like so-and-so begat so-and-so. It's like, okay, where, do, where's the, where does it end? Where do we pick up? These are important. We, we don't know why. I mean, we're, we're the mutts of the world. We're the rejects that were <laughs> we didn't make it in our own countries or we were sold into slavery or what you know what I mean it's like we're the rejects of the world in a way us Americans are it's amazing that America has become such a powerful country but it's like in Germany or Norway or Italy or uh, West Africa or wherever we came, or Ireland or wherever we came from it's like they left with it, our ancestors left never to, never to be able to return home again um Anyway, but in many countries in the world, people can trace back their ancestries. When I, I'm jumping off subject and coming back. When I lived in Japan, I sometimes had Japanese friends try to impress me with their ancestors, like who they were related to from a few hundred years ago. And I would listen. It was kind of interesting. It's like, cause, you know, I, I know uh, what my grandfather's name was. <laughs> Am I close? No, I'm joking there. But <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? We don't, we, we don't know our ancestries for going back usually. Okay, 1974. Okay? Modern Israel became a nation again in 1948. Okay? So, so a son of David was on the throne in Ethiopia during the entire time that Israel was dispersed and in captivity for about 3,000 years. Isn't that, isn't that just very interesting? Now, there's more to the story. So I believe this is kind of a hidden part of biblical history that we'll see in the next life. And it's like, oh, of course. And there's probably so many other things. Please go to the next, next slide. Okay, Acts 8, verses 26 through 28. So I'm in uh, 20 years. Let's see, when was this? About 18 years ago, I was living in Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley. And um, uh, it, was a, uh, it was Easter week. And so I got off early on Good Friday because I knew that on campus some of the Christian groups were coming together. They had a booth and they were giving out free New Testaments. So it's like mid-afternoon, 2 o'clock, 2.30 or something. I come up to the Christian booth just to talk to people, just to be there. And it's surrounded by about 50 people. And, I'm, you know, what's going on? And there's seven or eight Muslims who are uh, debating against this one Christian man. This man knew his Bible. He was a- I should mention he's Asian-American. I'd never seen him before. He was maybe in his 30s. But he was doing a good job of defending the Bible, but I immediately am praying silently and then um, I, um, am trying to catch up to the conversation for what's happening. And then I started defending the Bible also. Okay, and these seven or eight Muslims and stuff. And their main uh, point, they actually had two main points. One was... Uh, you know, there's errors in the Bible and things like that. There's got to be errors. And so I addressed that and said, well, now, wait a minute. Um, is your goal to uh, search for truth or is your goal to reject the Bible? What, what is it you're seeking? Because the Bible is a time-tested book of 66 books uh, written by about 40 authors in the middle 2,000 years of, of human history. And if you're seeking truth, you're seeking wisdom, 
even if, I don't believe there's any errors in the Bible, but even if there were, what's your goal? Is it to reject the Bible or to seek truth? Anyway, they didn't like that. But the, the other part of it was, which was actually kind of humorous, was uh, that, that they kept alluding to this, that Christianity was the white man's religion kind of a deal. Okay, no? I just thought that was funny, because remember the man they were originally debating with was Asian American. Okay, I didn't know where he was from, who he was. <laughs> Okay, so I pointed out that I then pointed out that the first place that the New Testament Christian gospel went to upon leaving Palestine was Africa, not Europe. God God favors white people? I don't think so. You know, I don't think so at all. And they kind of like were stunned at that, but I pointed that out. It was Ethiopia where the gospel went. Okay, now coming back to our study. So anyway, they didn't pretty really like that. They laughed nervously and changed the subject. They wanted to, wanted to attack something else, then keep keep going. Anyway, uh, so it's just it, it was kind of it was an interesting one-time event. And you had about fifty people standing around because they're watching the show of the religious people debating each other. And um, anyway, out of that, I, I got to know uh, Pastor uh, John Shim, uh, leader of a, a really good Bible-believing uh, church there. Uh, anyway, I was able to help him and stuff and things, and we became friends and stuff. And, okay, so now. Uh, Acts 8, 26, 28. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards uh, the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Eunuch, by the way, and this could mean court official. You know, in, in history they have some eunuchs who were actually were married. And so eunuch is a general Bible term. It, it, it doesn't always mean it's... Um, what do I want to say? Uh, what we what we in, in, in infer today, and he was a great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Okay, so he went. So they a thousand years later, right after Solomon, still recognized Jerusalem as the center because they were partly Ethiopia had become partly Hebrew partly Jewish. Okay? Very important. And this is the first place the gospel goes to. to. Philip witnesses to him. It says he's, I don't have the rest of it here, but basically, you know, he's running alongside the chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? The man uh, says, no, unless someone tells me. And so he tells him, the Messiah has come. He's here. And he proclaims that Jesus, the Messiah, has come. Uh, next slide, please. Acts 8.37. And so he says, well, what's to prevent me from being baptized? He says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So then he baptizes him. Philip, Philip departs uh, supernaturally. And this man then returns to Ethiopia and brings the Christian gospel message with him that the Messiah has come. Isn't that interesting? So, now, so it's like... We have this glimpse coming back into Scripture of the importance of Ethiopia, and then it goes away again. Okay, now, a thousand years after that, you had uh, Islam come up, and for 400 years, the Muslims like to blame Christians for being mean and stuff. 400, not 40, 400 years, the Christians took it. It wasn't until 1095, or 1085, uh, anyway, right, just a few years before this, that a particular pope tried to figure out a way Christians can arm themselves and defend against the uh, marauders, the Islamic uh, attackers who kept coming. Anyway, 1099 was the first crusade. 
they actually were very successful. Some of the Crusades were successful, some were not. And they actually took Jerusalem for about 75 years. Jerusalem was in European hands. We kind of forget those things in history. It put the church, the church or churches in Europe back into contact with the Ethiopian Christians. Now, isn't that interesting? So that was one of the one of the things that then was that then happened was Ethiopian Christianity was then re the contact with them and there was a certain exchange of scholars during that time. So it's a very very interesting some of the history that's that's been lost. But that happened. European and Ethiopian Christians were in de- direct contact during that time period. So it's just a very interesting thing. Ethiopia has remained for what three thousand years now for the most part outside of um, uh, you know the world and stuff. It's, just, it's been up there. Now, uh, next slide, please. So I showed you this this map earlier. Aksum, A X U M or A K S U M, is way up in the north, way up in the mountains. I showed you that picture how the mountains rise up steeply. It's a very mountainous country, so an individual can go there. Very difficult for horses or camels. Uh, you can't get tanks up in the mountains, as the Italians found out. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so Ethiopia has been a a Judeo-Christian country for 3,000 years. Actually, I'll mention something that's not in my notes here and stuff. Uh, I believe this was the first instance of Christians defending Christians. This is about 100 A.D. Uh, in Arabia, there were some Christians being persecuted, and the Ethiopians actually sent armed forces to go and defend the Christians who were there and then and came back. They actually uh, did that. So it's a very, very interesting uh, part, of their, part of their history. It's, their version of Christianity is a little different than ours. However, uh, I believe God can, God can use them. Je- as Jesus said, I have other flocks. My Father has other flocks that are not of this fold. I believe Ethiopia is an, is an example of that. Okay, let's go to the next slide. And I'm almost done here. Next slide, please. Colonies and the age of exploration. I showed you those world trade routes. There have been several times in history huge trade fleets or armies that have crossed continents. Uh, for example, the Chinese and from India, the Indians from India, have sent out great fleets in history, in ancient history. Uh, much of that history has been lost or displaced or rewritten, but the evidence is still there. There's evidence of, uh, there's a uh, Indian language, um, I think it's Telugu, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, T-E-L-U-G-U, in Western Africa. And it's like, what are these people from India, how would you get inscriptions in Telugu, in West, I mean, it's just amazing. Some of the just evidences of things that have happened. The Chinese also have sent out great fleets before. Uh, it, uh, Islam, when when it expanded, it expanded very quickly across Eurasia, going back as far east as India, west to Central Europe, across Africa, uh, and stuff. But it, but they almost had to go around Ethiopia, which is very interesting. Anyway, later the Mongols also conquered all the way to Central Europe. Okay, um, It's just interesting, the, the whole empire thing. Uh, our history, the way it's taught today, is white people went out and um, took advantage of everybody else, therefore white people are bad. No, I'm sorry, whoever is strong. Down through history, when the Chinese were strong, they took what they wanted. When the Mongols were strong, they took the artisans and the, the beautiful women or the engineers or whatever from Europe and took them back to China. Look at some of the Chinese people. That, go on Google, look up image uh, image Chinese people and just look at their faces. Some of these people look like they could be from Europe. and just, I'll tell you why, because their ancestors, 700, 800 years ago, 
probably came from Europe. They, it's, it's part, I'm not saying it's good. It's part of human history. It's just the way it was. Um, Sacagawea, who had uh, Indian uh, Native American woman who had joined the Lewis and Clark Texas, she was a slave. There was a different tribe who had taken her from her tribe when she was 11 or 12 years old. And um, anyway, it's just a tragically human humans being inhuman to others is a part of is a part of our history. So um, anyway, okay. So but okay. So going on down here later, the Christian Europeans competed to conquer and colonize the rest of the world. The uh, Portuguese and then the Spanish were the first ones out. This was uh, about the 1450s. By uh, 1492, you had the Spanish coming and coming to the new what. They thought was the Indian Ocean. No, there was a continent in the way. Two continents, North and South America. And uh, came uh, the Spaniards came here, the Christopher Columbus. And then, um, of course, colonizing the whole world. What is really interesting is there are a few countries that weren't colonized. Japan was never colonized. Thailand was not colonized. They excluded the foreigners. And in all of Africa, only one country that I, that I know of, and that's Ethiopia. Isn't that stunning? I just find it amazing. Now, the cities were taken. The cities, for example, uh, 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 Mussolini wanted to reestablish the Roman Empire. This was 100 years ago. And so he went into Ethiopia, but they never controlled the countryside, never controlled the whole country. They, did, they had an impact in the cities, but like I say, tanks don't do well in mountains. Horses don't do well in mountains. They're not like a mountain goat. They fall over and then they roll on you, and gee, that wasn't a good idea. So... Uh, <laughs> okay, so this, the, the uh, town of Oxum, way up in the mountains. Go to the next slide, please. So this is where the Ethiopians claim they have the Ark of the Covenant. It's in a small uh, building surrounded by a high fence for scale. Uh, this is actually a pretty tall fence. So a person would probably stand, okay, you can see that there, like maybe this tall, something like that. Okay, so it's actually a very tall fence around it. There's a big church near there. Uh, I think it's the chapel to Mary, I think. But this building sits alone. It is guarded. There's one man inside, a monk. And his responsibility is to tend to the ark each day. That's what they claim. And um, before he dies, he is to appoint his successor, who will be the one man who will take over after him, and then he tends to the ark each day. And so this has been going on for hundreds of years, or we don't know, thousands of years. So it's a very interesting belief that they have. In Timkit, which I mentioned earlier, the Ark of the Covenant is represented. As they carry stone, the equivalent of stone tablets on their heads because, of course, we know in the... In the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments are part of what's in there, the original Ten Commandments. There's some other things also, but they carry this around as representative of uh, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. They believe that they will give the Ark of the Covenant back to Christ when Christ returns on the earth. That's what, that's what their belief is. Now, it could be that when Israel builds the temple again, there will be some negotiation. I don't know. There's a lot of Ethiopian Jews who have gone back to Israel. Ten years ago, I was in Israel for about a month, and I, I saw some black people. And I remember there's this young woman who was a, she was a guard with some others, and I, I was going, passing through this checkpoint, 
And I, I said, my Hebrew, I only know a few polite words and I know how to order falafels, okay? Um, but, um, <laughs> but I asked her in English, I said, excuse me, are you from Ethiopia? And she looked at me and she nodded her head like this. I said, thank you. And then I kept going back. She had to be. Okay, you know what I mean? It's because the Israelis have gathered Jews from everywhere. From Russia, you have, you have them from everywhere. And so the Ethiopian Jews are part of that, uh, uh, that uh, the, the persons who they're bringing back into the fold, into Israel. So it could be that the Ark of the Covenant, maybe there will be some agreement. I, I don't know. Excuse me. That's, I'm speculating here. You know, do they even have it? They believe they do. Now, there's three or four different theories. I'm not going to get into them today. Uh, some people believe the Ark of the Covenant is in a cave, Jeremiah's cave, which is outside of the old city walls, but underground. Uh, there's some people who believe that, and one man, he's dead now, who said that he had seen it uh, in a cave. Uh, there's others who believe it's hidden underneath the Temple Mount, and uh, sometimes they'll dig in underneath there, and then the Palestinians get really angry, and they have to stop. Some believe it's maybe in the... Uh, where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from, that maybe it's hidden in one of those caves. So there's different different beliefs on where it is. I, I don't know. Okay, but Ethiopia as being special. Go to the next slide, please. I'm almost done. Okay, Matthew 2.15. Jesus is a baby. Herod wants him killed. But they're warned. Jesus' parents are warned in a dream, his, his mother and his stepfather. And, and was there... So... Uh, Joseph told, took his family to Egypt to hide from Herod, okay? And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So Egypt is where Jesus went. Well, the Ethiopians claim that wait a minute, he, only, he not only went to Egypt, he also went to Ethiopia and saw the Ark of the Covenant as a child, like five years old or something. Is that true or not? I have no idea. I don't know. Probably, probably not. Probably not. But uh, there is a relationship between Ethiopia history, Egypt's history, and Israel's. I didn't go very far in this, but it is amazing how many scriptures in the Old Testament have both e Egypt and Ethiopia in the same verse. I, I just, it is actually maybe a study all on its own. Uh, Psalm 68, 31, princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. That's interesting. Isaiah 18.1, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. This is a prophecy which I believe is yet to come to pass yet. But they're using Ethiopia as an example of far away. Far, far away. Isaiah 25, And they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. Again, Ethiopia, it's a whole, it's a whole set of verses. I don't remember how many it was. But where Ethiopia and Egypt are mentioned together, it's just, I just find that it's, there's no coincidences in the Bible. God, there's a structure there that we don't we don't understand that we excuse me that we we need to search out. That was one of my first verses. We need to seek out the truths in the Scripture. Nahum three nine Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. Anyway, that one continues. So there is, I believe, kind of a hidden history which um, the Lord has preserved his word, his knowledge, uh, how to worship the Lord. Um, the version of Judaism that's in Ethiopia is bef from before the synagogue system. And so they know it's really old. Of course, they, the secular scholars, secular archaeologists don't want to, um, you know, don't want to support the Bible at all. 
But it's like, this is more than coincidence. This, this appears to match script. Their history appears to match Scripture. Menelik, as the son of David, was, and his descendants were on the throne for 3,000 years. Okay, next slide, please, which is our last slide. Again, a picture of Ethiopia. I hope to visit there someday. don't know if I'll ever get to go there or not. I would love, love to go there and spend some time um, and, and learn the customs, learn the Christian customs. When I was in the Bay Area, I went to Russian Orthodox churches a couple times, or a particular church, excuse me, uh, Ethiopian Orthodox. I went to a wide variety of churches when I was there. I went, I'm sorry to say this, I went to the least worst churches when I lived in Berkeley for five years. The most alive church, and I don't remember if I've said that here before or not, was a black church. A Berkeley Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church was the most alive church in Berkeley. Their doctrines were so weak, but I'll tell you what, the joy of the Lord was there. That was one of the places I went most often. I, I was the only white guy who went there. And, uh, but I just I would go there for Sunday school, go over to church, sometimes go there for uh, the midweek Bible and study and things like that. But uh, I think, you know, God, we're all going to go back to God at the end of this life. What have we done? It's not just our doctrines. It's who are we? How do we treat others? How do we treat strangers? How do we uh, conduct our, are we conducting on, are we trying to build the other people up or are we trying to use them and stuff? So, uh, okay, so I hope I didn't take too long. Does anyone have any questions, questions, comments, or anything? Yes, Bob. Yes. As it is now, the current uh, maps of Ethiopia. I'm, I didn't look in the ancient history if they actually got down the ocean. I think Etria was carved out of Ethiopia at one point. Etria, which is to the uh, almost directly north, but that's on the Red Sea side and stuff. So, the Etria and and, and Etria split off is. Right, yeah, most, much of northern Africa has become very Muslim, yeah. Uh, there's also, they are also part animist, and they do have a certain Muslim contingency in the cities. Now, one thing I forgot to mention... I didn't learn this till recently. Uh, in February of this year, it was reported that there had been up in Aksum a local militia that tried to gain control of Aksum and take the Ark of the Covenant. And all these Christians came from all directions to defend it. 800 people were killed. This, was, this didn't make the news until like half a year later, and even then it was just barely even reported. But um, so they came to try to... Uh, to take the ark from there, but the local people, uh, it, it's a very hard area, evidently very difficult to get there, to get into that that area, but there was a battle for it. I've sometimes thought if someone sent a, you know, helicopter SWAT team in, well, I believe the Lord would have a hand in stopping it. If, if the ark is there, they're not going to be successful. Why would you be so stupid? Well, people are sometimes. They, <laughs> yeah, here, guys, just kind of grab onto it from the sides. <laughs> Something so, okay. <laughs> anyway, they, um, yeah, so, you know, is the ark really there? They're the only ones who are claiming it. 
it is a very special, uh, very, very special, um, you know, that, that it was built, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So anyway, uh, any, any other questions, comments, or anything? Um, I've probably forgot lots of things I wanted to say. Roberto. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have a question? Sure, I'll be glad to give that to you or send it to you. It's in the computer back there. Uh, if, uh, actually, if we can leave it in the computer, if you'll bring a flash drive next week, you can get it. Uh, it's five megabytes, so it's kind of big to email. But if you'll um, get it from there. Yes, Bob? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, LibreOffice is the other one. ODP, ODP version. Yes, sir. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I haven't. Stu have you studied that, Bob? Because I don't have a good answer for that. Okay. We know that in Revelation, if you map out the first couple chapters of Genesis with the last couple chapters of Revelation, it, we are in this abnormal time that we think is normal. But, you know, the sun and the moon are created. At, then at the end of time as we know it, in Revelation, the sun and moon are no longer needed. It's just kind of interesting. Death is introduced, human sin, and death is introduced. The last enemy destroyed, jumping all the way forward to end of Revelation, death is destroyed. It's just kind of interesting. If you ever want to do a Bible study, like I said, there are so many things in Scripture that are like, wow, I didn't even know this was here. But doesn't you got to look for it. you got to look for it. And I believe in some ways God lets skeptics believe that there are uh, discrepancies in Scripture even though they aren't there. He lets them believe it. I'll give you an example. In Genesis 7, it says 40 days and 40 nights. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. It says that twice. That's not what caused the flood. Okay, now it, it did rain 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that twice. But it also says the waters were rising for 150 days. So something else caused the flood. It was a very different phenomenon. And so, but if you're just kind of scanning, you're just kind of skimming, and you're, yeah, the floods, the fountains of the great deep. Uh, if you're just kind of skimming, and if a skeptic is like looking for things, oh, rain could have never caused a flood like that to cover the whole earth. So that Bible is completely untrue. So, okay, go ahead and believe that. You didn't want to study? Okay, you don't have to. Uh, in, uh, oh, go ahead. Okay, Bob, yes. You go ahead. Okay, uh, with uh, the rich man and Lazarus. That's not a parable. That appears to be two people. The rich man isn't even mentioned. He's not important at all. He's chaff, wheat in the chaff. And he says, send someone back to tell my brothers. They have Moses and the prophets. It is our responsibility to study the Scriptures. Ask, seek, knock. The Bible invites us to pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom probably almost every day. And, pray for, and I pray for protection from deceptions. We are probably living in the greatest age of deceptions in all of human history. In uh, Matthew uh, 23... Mark 13 and Luke 21. No, Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21. That's where Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse. That's where he talks about the end times. I was studying all three versions one time and looking at it, and I realized the very first thing Jesus says is, Take heed that no man deceive you. Oh, take heed that you be not deceived. Take heed that no one deceives you. That's the first thing he says. 
what is the hallmark of our times? Deceptions, our own news being against our own history books, being against us, our own science, anti, anti-science. They're, they're using so many things and pr- pretending this real, and it's so easy to just follow the broad path, follow what they're saying. Bob, you had a yes? Yeah. Yeah, he believed the Jeremiah cave thing. And so he was said he was crawling in a cave. And so it's outside of the old city walls underneath. And, and there are caves. In Jerusalem, there's areas that are blocked off with security cameras and fences and stuff, and you're not allowed to go in them. They're actually like, because there's layers, you know, of the city and stuff. Yes. Kosher is a good word, yeah. Yeah. That, it, that was what I was referencing, yeah, Ron Wyatt. Okay, yes, except that Jesus was... Right, except that Jesus wasn't crucified on the Temple Mount. It was on a hill, Golgotha, near there. And uh, we know there was an earthquake. And so, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, actually, uh, uh, I'm debating how much I should answer this. Okay, I was on a Ron Wyatt expedition. That was what I was on. And we were at the what was called the Garden Tomb. So it's outside of the... I think it was the Damascus Gate. You have the different gates for the old city. And you go in, and it's the British who administer this uh, the Garden Tomb area. And it's kind of on the side of a hill. There is a what looks like a skull in caves on the side. And there's actually an Arab bus terminal there now. But you can see it, and it looks like a skull. So it's like, is that the place of the skull? And on top of it is actually a, a Muslim uh, cemetery now, so you can't go up there. So it's kind of like, you know, anyway, so we were digging near, on the side of this where they believed maybe Jesus had, there was a kind of a niche in the rocks and maybe he was, uh, so, that, so that he was crucified there. There was an earthquake which opened up the earth. The uh, Roman centurion speaks the, uh, uh, drives the spear into his side. The blood goes down and the idea is then he, it drips onto the mercy seat and then either there's another earthquake or the, it closes up afterwards, but that that's how that, that the sacrifices, the blood of the perfect sacrifice had reached it and stuff. So, so it is a... I don't know. Yeah, you also have the curtain in the Holy of Holies on earth being torn into two. Uh, and of course, that was a very, very thick curtain. Yeah, and so at that time there was earthquakes. There were many who were brought back to life and came back into Jerusalem. And it's like, what just happened? You know, even if they didn't believe, there was three hours of darkness on the earth. That's the, I believe that is the, it's not Jesus' birth, that is the point. It is finished. That is the dividing point in history. To them he gave, gave power to become the sons of God. And so that once the price had been paid, at that point, that's the dividing point in history. Yeah. 
Right. Right. Yes, yes. And then, of course, he rose rose from the dead three days later. So, uh, and so the garden tomb was near there. So there's a joke i got to tell you, and then I'll answer your question. Uh, so Joseph, so Jesus had just died on the cross. He's dead. His movement is over. It's over. The, sc- the disciples are scattering. Peter and others go back to fishing and stuff like that. Joseph of Arimathea approaches Pilate and says, I, I would like to put the body of Jesus in my my family's new tomb. This is expensive. Those were expensive. You think graves are expensive today? Oh my goodness, only the rich could have something like what he had. And Pilate says, you you want to give your tomb to this criminal, this man who's dead, your family's tomb for it? And Joseph of Arimathea said, Oy vey, it's just for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Okay, yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes. Right. I actually went on on one of those tours also, and you go down below. So you're facing to the wall. You're not actually going underneath, but you're right up to the edge of it. And, yeah, some of those single stones, I don't remember what the tonnage was, but it was like we don't have equipment today that could move those. It's kind of like Machu Picchu down in Peru or the Great Pyramid or something like that. It's like we think we have high technology. Well, in some ways we do. In some ways, we don't. I mean, they, we don't know how they did some of the things that they did in ancient times. We just believe it. That we just believe we're the most advanced. So we've got electricity, but there's other technologies that I be, believe have been lost and have not been re, rediscovered yet. But yeah, I've seen that down there also. Um, and so uh, the third temple, when it will be rebuilt, not if, when it will rebuild, because the Bible says it will be, then will be a very important uh, time in human history. Stephen. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, yes. Okay, but I'm gonna be just a little bit cynical. So there was a guy named Harold Fassold. I believe he was from before Ron Wyatt. And he discovered where the crossing was of the Red Sea. He discovered where the, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is. He discovered where Mount Sinai is. So, okay, he dies. He's gone. Um, Ron, I think there's like four of them. Ron Wyatt is another one. He discovered all these things. And I, I'm sorry, but humans like to be the center of attention. We like to be... Uh, we shouldn't do that. What was it Chuck Smith said? Don't touch the money. Don't touch the women. Don't touch the glory. Very important. And we need to give credit to God. But unfortunately, some of these guys, they like touching that glory. Oh, I discovered there's a... Okay, Harold Fat. The current guy is a guy named Bob Cornuke. And I'm going to tell you what he discovered. He discovered where the Egyptians crossed, tried to cross. He discovered where the children of Israel... And the, all the same things, okay? And so these guys sell books... 
I have one of the Harold Fasthold books. They're out of print now. They're long gone. Ron Wyatt, that was, that was who, there was a, a, it was actually a businessman here in Evansville who sponsored, who paid for me to go. I, I could have never gone to, on that trip for a month to Israel. I could have never gone myself. It was such an opportunity then to, to live in Israel for a month. And I went to the Temple Mount. But, so Ron Wyatt's one of them. But these guys, it's like, gee, you know, if you rediscovered all the things that this other guy discovered, there's a very good book, I think, Bob Cornuke is the current guy, and it's The Gold the gold of Exodus. Very well written book. And um, he talks about Mount Sinai, Jabal Allah's in uh, Saudi Arabia. And it is a mountain that is different than the other mountains. It's actually black on top, like it's been metamorphized, metamorphized rock. And so if you're talking about, you know, Moses when he came, you know, what did God, was there by the presence of the Lord something special that happened to that particular mountain? It is very, very interesting. And so, so, but yeah, Ron Wyatt was one of those guys, but there's a few of those guys. I'm so, you know, as you kind of, cause I love history and study. It's like, wait a minute, this guy discovered all the same things that this guy did, and then these guys, and then the chariot wheels down in the Red Sea and stuff like that. So. Right, right. And so there's some weed. Now, I, I'll tell you something I have thought of, and I'm sorry we're in polite company, but um, hey, you get what you pay for. Okay, so now, it has occurred to me, okay, gold is, for the most part, immutable. Gold does not react with most other chemicals. Once it is there, it survives. Okay, now, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say, you ha and you have to forgive me. Um, Moses had them grind up the golden calf and drink the gold in the water. Now, this would have passed through their systems. <laughs> and following uh, mosaic, the Mosaic Law, they would have had organized latrines for men and women, right? They would have had, outside the camp, they would have had these. There's the way to know that Mount Sinai really is where it is, is there, okay, you see where I'm going to, is that this gold, and we may be able to have ground penetrating radar, even from satellite, I don't know, that might be able to, you know, you'd see that. It's the only place in the world where you'd have a grid of gold deposited in the ground. Isn't that interesting? Okay, it's something I thought of myself, and you can tell my mind wanders sometimes. Exactly. Goldo potties, yeah, okay, anyway, but you get you get the idea, it's just, I, so God knew, you know, there's so, so many things in scripture that it's like, well, when, when um, uh, Jericho was found, they found all these stores of, of wheat and all these other things, uh, do you remember they were told, isn't, wasn't it Jericho, they were told to take none of the spoils, to leave it there, that's the way they found Jericho, so in modern times, now the secular archaeologists, they hate that, they can't stand it. Bible's true again. Keep, they keep proving that Bible true. Makes me mad. What they did is they claimed, oh, yeah, it was a different time frame. We've got to doubt that Bible. We can't follow a God of Bible. So um, anyway, but uh, you, you have at Jabal Allah's down at the base. Anyway, there just appears to be different evidences. Now I want to tell you one other thing. There were two sets of the uh, Ten Commandments. Remember Moses came down after 40, 40 days. He found them in sin. Right? And he threw down the Ten Commandments that says the earth swallowed him up. He went back up on the mountain for another 40 days. So one set is in the Ark of the Covenant. There's another set out there, and it's at the base of Mount Sinai. And I don't think it's the Mount Sinai that's in the Sinai Peninsula. I think it's in Arabia. What's that? The original. The original. That's the original set. Right. That's the original. 
We know we don't know. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. broke Yes. So, yeah, but, but I wonder if those have been preserved for the end times. You know, several things have been found. There's that ossuary that, that was found about 10 years ago or 8 years ago. Um, uh, he says, son of Joseph, a brother of Jesus, something like that. And it's like, why would you put a brother's name on there unless, unless that brother was, was very, very famous? 